like I mentioned, how do we build the next generation? How would we leave a legacy of faith to the next generation? And what I mean is, how can we pass our faith and our trust in Jesus along so that it does not fade in the next generation? In other words, what must we do now to nourish and sanctify ourselves and our families and our church so that there would be a legacy of faith to the next generation. Well, surprisingly, I found that that's not just a good idea. It's actually a command of God to do that. Therefore, to do anything less than passing faith to the next generation is actually sin. Turn with me in Deuteronomy to chapter 6. And let's take a look at the context first of what is happening in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Well, first of all, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. Moses is speaking to them, having come out of the Exodus. If you know the Bible very well at all, you know that God did a miraculous thing in bringing out the children of Israel out of the bondage of slavery, out of uh, the, the grip of Pharaoh, and toward the promised land. And so that's already happened. They are now in the, into that journey to the promised land, and Moses already knows that he is not going to be there. But all the people that are, he's going to give them instructions as to how to live in the promised land. How do we live as a light in the darkness, how do we live obedient lives even now? And so I think it's a good thing to look at, not only for the children of Israel to live in the promised land, but what about you? How do you live for the glory of God right now? How do you raise your kids? How do you operate in your family? And what are you going to do differently so that the world might know that God is real? That's what Moses is about to tell us, and so God is, is already working in their lives and, and so forth, and in your bulletin, I think you have this statement that I wrote. Moses is telling the people how to live in the promised land that God is giving them by His grace. God is giving them a land by His grace alone, and also God is telling us how to live our lives in light of His grace provided in Jesus Christ on the cross. So how are we to live and breathe and move in life? And how can we impact the next generation? Let's take a look at starting in verse 1, 2, and 3. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you 
that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now here Moses is declaring long life for them, that that you would have longer life. You know what? Obeying God does not a guarantee. There's been people that have followed God and had short lives. Don't, Don't read it wrong, all right? But I'm telling you, eternal life is a long time. But also, it will go better for you to follow the ways of God than the ways of the world in terms of safety, in terms of all kinds. I don't even need to go there. That your, la- your days would be long would be a promise of God in, in keeping His commands. But also, it says that it, that it might go well for you. Did you read that? That it might go well for you. Well, what does that mean that it might go well for you? that you might have a right relationship with God. That's the best thing. That's the best thing that could go well for you is that you would have forgiveness and you could have the joy of the Lord and you can have all of what God has for you in that, that it might go well for you, that you wouldn't be under the judgment of God, that you could be free. Uh, God is wanting us to live in freedom, and so it will go well for you if you obey His commands. And then also it says that they might multiply in the land of milk and honey. And that is that they would replicate the, the, their faith along, that their, their, their families and their families' families would follow the line of faith. What about the land of milk and honey? As a kid growing up reading the Bible, I thought, did that land have milk and honey? It is a way of saying that everything they need is in this land. It's a way of saying that that... The promised land is filled with all they need, and I would actually say, and more. And believe me, we live in a a land that is blessing us. We are blessed beyond measure. The poorest among us is royalty and a king compared to the people in Haiti, compared to the people in other parts of the world. We are rich. And even those in those lands have the grace of God upon them so that they too could say that God has blessed us. And so we, are li- we need to live obedient lives unto God. Now Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. So in Deuteronomy, Moses is telling them, keep the commandments of God. Jesus is saying, if you love me, keep the commands of God. So it's a way of expressing love by keeping the commands of God. So gratitude is a key to obeying God. Why would you want to obey God? This is a question that I've asked uh, in in our outline. And before that, I would say it's the gratitude to God that leads us to obedience, that we would be grateful, that we would obey out of grateful hearts, Um, that we would recognize that God is sovereign and unique and and He's powerful. He has done great things for us. So we should obey out of a pure heart, trust His goodness and His kindness. So uh, why should we follow God's commands? Because it's a way of loving Him. If you're here this morning saying, I don't want to follow God's commands, and I would challenge you that you don't love God. If you don't follow God's commands, and I'm not talking about legalistically, I'm not trying to earn anything, I'm just simply to tell God, I love you, and he says, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands. 
And I don't know about you, but I never knew there was a connection between keeping God's commands and loving Him. I wanted to love Him but not do His commands, and God says, you can't. You must keep His commands in order to show and express your love for Him. So if you struggle with this, if you struggle with keeping the commands of God, I'm telling you, you don't have a commandment problem. You have a love problem. Because God is good. God is great. God is powerful and wonderful, and He has done all that is needed for you to respond to Him in love. In fact, let's look at verses 4 to 9, and you're going to find out it is the natural response to the God of all the universe, the the God of all things, to respond to Him in love. Look at verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today should be, in your, be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What are we to know and do in order to build the next generation? Well, God did a a big favor to Israel when he inspired Moses to write these things and share these things. Here's what it is. The word in verse 4, the first word of your Bible, do you see it? What's the first word in verse 4. Here. The word here is Shema, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew word that we translate here, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. Shema. And if, if you've done any study at all, you've probably heard of the Shema. The Shema is that whole section right there that we just read. And it means more than just listen. There's probably no translation here that says, listen, O Israel. Just hear with your ears the commands of God. When it says, Shema, O Israel, it means to know what I'm saying, to change your life accordingly, and to make it your ambition to do it. Hear, O Israel what God is saying here. And when it says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, how is that? Why is that so important? Well, it's critically important both then and now. The Lord, Yahweh, is one. Now, that doesn't mean that it, it interferes with the Trinity. It's the Trinitarian one, God, both all three in one. The Lord is one. Yahweh. Now, why is that so important that we realize we are monotheistic? We serve one God, the only God, the one and only God who displays himself in three persons, which is beautiful. Now, why was it important back then? They're going to the promised land, and the promised land happens to be occupied by pagan cultures. And the cultures they're going to encounter are polytheistic cultures. There are cultures that have many gods. We have many gods. 
and you're going to go over there and declare there is one God. And so Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Don't ever forget it. We serve the one and only God, Yahweh, the God that created it all, the God of the universe, the sovereign God, the unique God, the God who created you. Don't ever forget, O Israel, there is one God and you know him. Don't ever forget that. Now, why do we need to know this? Remember, there is one God, and so we live in a culture that has many gods. We live in a culture that has many gods. And so we need to be reminded, church, there is one God. And sometimes people say, there is one God, and it is not you. Hear, O Nixa, there is one God, Yahweh, the Lord of all. Moses is telling the people how to go to the promised land and live among the pagan cultures. We now are learning how do we pass our faith on to the next generation. Same thing. Here, parents, there is one God. You need to teach that to your kids. Here, couples, singles, seniors, Young adults, students, there is one God, and hear that clearly, and know that. And you need to know who that God is. He is the one and only true and living God. Look at verse 5. You shall love your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Once you recognize that you have been captured by the reality that there is one God, And the assumed response, do you get this? In the Hebrew culture, once you recognize that there is a God, the God, the only God, the only response to that God should be love and devotion. It should be a response of love, loyalty, trusting. And so even in their their idea here, it says in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God the God of the universe, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Uh, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. He said to him, after the, the person asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, And then it goes on to say, this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there was a time when I thought, well, Jesus said, love God with all of your mind. Moses had said, love God with all of your heart and with all of your might. Why did Jesus add mind and Moses didn't say mind, he said heart? Well, you got to know Hebrew culture. When Hebrew culture refers to heart, they're talking about your mind and emotion, the whole process of thinking. That's why have these commands, put these commands on your heart. In Hebrew thought, that meant all of your thinking. Jesus, in the Greek culture, you say heart, they think about the heart. Jesus said, with all of your mind and all of your heart, both. To love God with all of who you are. 
Well, what about this idea of loving God with all of your might, your strength? I don't, I'm going to be pretty simple this morning in the sense that I want you to understand what this is saying and what it's not saying. When it says love God with all of your might, that doesn't mean powerful, thumping people with the Bible and let's just be powerful with love God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to hurt you with how much I love God. It's not about your power and your strength. When he says love God with all of your might, it's talking about your passion. It's talking about intensity of what you are convinced of. It has nothing to do with running circles around people and how smart you are. I know the Bible better than you. No, I think I know the Bible better than you. That has nothing to do with loving God with all of your might. What it means to love God with all of your might is that you have a passion and you have an intensity and you have a zeal for God that just seems to keep overflowing with all of your might, your passion, your intensity, your emotion of God. So love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your passion. Why would that help us pass our faith to the next generation? Well, if you don't figure that out, I'm telling you, mom and dad, if you don't have a passion for God in your home and, you, and God and Jesus is not important to you at home, how in the world are you going to pass that on to your kid? Well, you better love God. You better have passion, kids. Well, you don't, dad. Moses is telling the people of Israel, this is how we're going to occupy the land. What God is saying is, now that I have died on the cross and filled you with my spirit, here's how you're going to live in this world. You're going to live with passion. You're going to live loving God with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. And you're going to pass that on to your children and to your children's children. So when are we to shape, how are we to shape the next generation? After we recognize how God re, who God really is, we respond to Him in this kind of love. Then that's the only place that we have as a foundation for ministry. If you don't know who God is and you don't have a passion for responding to Him in love, then you don't have a foundation for doing ministry. Ministry is knowing God and being in love with God, and then you want to share it with others. You cannot share that which you do not have. Verse 6 and 7. Look at this. And these words that I command you today, it says, shall be on your heart. On your heart, not in your home, on your heart. Do you get this? These words should be on your heart. And you know what we've relegated that to? These words should be in our home. You have a Bible in your home. You have a plaque on the wall that has some Scripture on it. Nothing wrong with either one of those. But that's not what Moses is saying. Moses is saying God is declaring that the Word of God should be on your heart so that you have something to share with your family. You cannot share that which you do not have. Once you possess the gospel, you are now in a position to profess the gospel. This is what Moses is instructing the people here. 
to do in their homes. In the Hebrew culture, it was never, get this, in the Hebrew culture, it was never an option to teach their kids about God as parents. That was not even thought about as an option. It was an it was a understood thing that if mom and dad know God, then they are going to share that with their kids in a teachable way that would pass it. It's not up for the individual. Well, the kids need to come to that on their own. No, they don't. They need you. They need you as a parent to, to man up and woman up to lead them into the things of God. Well, I think they just need to find it out like I did on my own. Well, I'm sorry that's the way you found it, but that's not the way God is instructing His people to lead His children to Himself. How do we pass faith to the next generation? Intentionally. Intentionally. It's not going to happen by just sitting back and doing nothing. You must lead them in your home. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Um, teach them diligently. You might be thinking that's overwhelming. Um, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know how to teach the Bible in my home. That's why we have church, right? That's why we have church. Let the church teach the kids. You know all the reasons why that's so wrong. That is so wrong. Let the church raise your kids. The church will help you raise your kids, but responsibility is on you. Responsibility is on you. And God says you should have it on your heart. You should teach your children, and the body of Christ will support you and and, and encourage you in that. And so that's what we need to be in our homes, teaching our kids God's truths, God's words, God's ways. It goes on to say that when you walk, when you, um, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Let's think about that for a second. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. That's informal. That's as you're talking in your home. And then as you're out and about, you should talk of them, the things of God. It's like when you're home kind of casually, God comes up. When you're out and about doing stuff, God's Word comes up. You begin to be a spokesman for God outside your home, inside your home. And then it says, in the morning when you rise, you think of God. When you lie down, you think of God. You know what this is telling me? There's never a bad time to think of God. There's never a bad time to speak of God, both in your home, outside the home, when you rise up, when you, when you lay down. Moses is telling the people, you want to live in the promised land? You've got to think and speak of God. Well, it gets better than this. Look at verses 8 and 9. 8 and 9 says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. Now, this is figurative language, and you've heard Pastor Tim say many times what figurative language is not literally taking it and putting it on your doorpost. Some of you would say that would be easier. It really would be easier if that was literal. If that was literal, then we would just go to our door and put the Scripture on it, then we would put it on our hands and be done. That's not what it means. 
What it means is, in all of your going, in all of your coming, in what you use your hands for, in what you're thinking in all times, you should be thinking of the things of God. <coughs> this is God telling us to connect everything in our life, doorposts, our hands, our foreheads. Is there anything else that God, is God wanting to make connections to what we do and what we think? Yes. Connect yourself to God. And that'll help us pass our faith to the next generation because we're connecting our kids, we're connecting ourselves, we're connecting our hands to God, our thoughts to God. Now, the Jewish culture, you know this probably, they took it literally uh, later on. They began to read that and say, if Moses said we're supposed to put, bind it to our hands, bind it to our foreheads, let's do that. And so they made little boxes, phylacteries. They made little boxes. You know what they put in the box? So I, I, it's one thing to know what these little, that they have a little box on their, on their wrist. What's in the box? I mean, it's like those of you who are old enough to know Let's Make a Deal or, or one of those game shows. What's in the box? What do you think's in the box? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9 is in the box. That's what's in the box. They took these words, they wrote them down, and they put them in a box, and they bound them to their wrists, and they put them on their foreheads, and they put it on their doors. And some of you think, that looks that would be a great project to do. Only if this, if it's already in your mind and in your heart and in your hands. It makes no difference whatsoever if you bind that Scripture onto your wrist or you wear a headband that has Deuteronomy, just like the Christian t-shirts don't make you more spiritual. You know what you do with people with t Don't do this to me. I mean, you can do it to me. I'll, I'll say it. Ask somebody, what's on your shirt? And they don't even know what's on their shirt. Guys, it doesn't do you any good to have something on there if you don't know what it means. God is saying, whatever you do, connect to me. Now, let's keep going. There's a warning coming. Not only the children of Israel going to the promised land, Moses is saying, here's how I want you to live. In verses 10 and 11, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, can you see how exciting this is? When you get to the land that God has promised you to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build. Get this. You're going to be able to occupy cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And you will eat and you will be full. Now, I don't really read that as a warning right off the bat. I think that looks like a good thing coming. A good thing is coming. Here's the warning. God has blessed you. What are you going to do with the blessings? Moses is telling them, you're going to go there and you're going to have land. You're going to have cities that you didn't build. God's grace is going to be showered upon you. And it's going to be up to you how you respond to that and be careful because blessings, get this guys, blessings are supposed to be 
reminders of that there is one God who gives. Don't take your blessings and just say, thank you, and then act like there is no God and it's all about you. It's never been all about you. It's always been about God. And they're going to the promised land, and Moses is reminding them, you're going to be blessed, but be careful. And guys, I'm telling you, we live in a, in a, in a time where we need to be very careful with our blessings. And stop asking for more. What's dangerous in that? What's dangerous in that is God has showered us with more than we deserve already. We need to be thankful and grateful. And look what happens next. Notice that God's grace and blessings are so obvious. God gives them the land, the cities that they didn't build and wells they didn't dig. It's extravagant. It's generous. It's over the top. God is over the top blessing them. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God has blessed you just over the top? Why? To get your attention. Not to get you selfish. Not to get you uh, resting in your blessings. To get you to love God with all of your heart. And if if you've got blessings and you're not loving God, you didn't respond to your blessing properly. Hasn't God done the same to us in Jesus? Our sins are atoned for. My righteousness has been given to me. I've I've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. God's wrath is turned from me. God's righteousness is given to me. I'm telling you, you're blessed beyond measure. God has given you so much. What's the danger in having blessings or an abundance of grace? What the danger is in verse 12. Look at it. Here's the danger. After all these blessings, verse 12 says, after knowing this and getting all these blessings, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Forget the Lord? How could you possibly forget God? Some of you are sitting here going, well, that's pretty easy. I forgot him for years. Moses is saying blessings have a tendency to cause you to forget that it all comes from God. Forget the Lord. How could we ever do that in light of his glory, in light of his blessings? It's often the blessings that lull us into self-sufficiency rather than poverty or persecution. I guarantee you, there are people in poverty and persecution that are very close to God. Very close to God. And there are plenty that have been blessed beyond measure who are not close to God. How can this be? How can blessings from God lull us into forgetting? And how can persecution persecution and poverty cause us to cry out more to God. Moses is telling them, when God blesses you, and he's going to, and he did, and he has, 
How do you respond to the blessing is critical. And when we're talking about passing it on to the next generation, Beth and I are trying really hard to try to teach our boys the value of a dollar, the blessing of what God is doing. Even in creation and all, we give credit, we give glory to God. We're trying to say that these things are not handed to you. These are not just rights that you have, electronics and all that, whatever it is. These are things that God has blessed with, that they are God's blessings. And therefore, we're responsible to respond back to God with thanksgiving. Thank you, God. We don't deserve this. And I think Dave Ramsey is the best at saying it every day, every day. How are you doing, Dave? Better than I deserve. And that is true. Teach your kids about the grace of God and the thanksgiving that we should have to His blessings. Don't forget the Lord that brought you out of slavery. Verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Verse 13, Moses is telling, how do you live in the land of blessing? I thought it was a land of milk and honey. It is. Well, why do we have to keep fearing God? If it's a land of milk and honey, we need to just get on and have a vacation and just forget everything and enjoy it. Moses says, don't you dare. You're going to live in the land and you want to make a difference in the next generation? You're going to fear the Lord. If you don't ever stop fearing the Lord. Remember the Shema? Hear, O Israel. You must Fear the Lord always. Is there ever a time for a believer not to fear the Lord? No. The fear of the Lord remains. He is not like you. He is all-powerful. Do not forget from where you have come. You have come a long ways. God rescued you from sin, from death, from hell. God did a lot of hard work Himself just for you. Fear Him. Love Him. Honor Him. Even in the land of milk and honey. Verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are around you. Verse 15, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. Verses 14 and 15, Do not chase after other gods. We've come a long ways from verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. There is only one God. And then Moses said, Don't chase other gods. Don't go after other gods, no matter how good they look. Some of you are here today, and you have chased other gods, and it is a dead-end street. Some of you think the next god you chase, that's the one that's going to do it for you. There is only one God who forgives sins. There's only one God that gives you His Spirit. 
There's only one God in which you can say all things exist under Him. Hear, O Israel, there is one God. Why do you chase another? Why would you chase after another? We are not polytheistic. We are not polytheistic. We are mono, mono, mono theistic. There is one God. He's warning here, don't chase after other gods. Guess, guess what? In the promised land are other gods in the pagan cultures. How do you pass our faith to the next generation? Can you, find, can you see this, that we're Old Testament, New Testament? Old Testament, it was literally going into pagan cultures in the promised land. In the New Testament, we're living life on the globe, and that is by grace, by being a believer in Christ, but we still live in Babylon And so how are we going to pass our faith to the next generation? Same thing. Do not chase other gods. Teach your kids not to chase other gods. Pass on your faith to not chase other gods. There is one God alone. And so we can make a difference, guys. You can make a difference in the next generation if you recognize the one God, love Him with all of your heart, and then teach them. Teach, 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 and then pass it on to the next generation. Um, It has been said, and I couldn't find who originally said, that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Now, how how is that? Christianity is only one generation away from extinction, and always has been. If God's people fail to pass on teaching, and we don't pass on faith to the next generation, guess what? One generation collapsed. Israel had it. There were times when Israel followed the Lord. And then it says, and the next generation did not follow God. And generation after generation did not do what was right in the eyes of God. And then there would be one who did. And then they would go for a little while. And then it would not. Guys, We are at risk. We are at risk if we don't do what God is saying to pass to the next generation our love for God, our faith in God, not chasing after other gods, but loving the God supreme. Um, We must do this. To be blessed and graced by God in extreme and incredible ways, only to forget about Him, and turn away to false and worldly and corrupt idols? That should ignite the anger of God. If you read that, that God is a jealous God in verse 15, the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord be rekindled against you. I thought they were going to the promised land of milk and honey. See, we love milk and honey. We just don't love God. God is telling Israel, you're going to the land that I'm giving you, I'm blessing you, only for you to forget about me and chase after other gods after I delivered you, after I have saved you? Can you even think for a second why God would not be angry at them? That is the proper response of God. It says that His anger is, 
would be kindled and that he would destroy them off the face of the earth. He is a jealous God. He's jealous for his glory. He's jealous for your good. And he knows that the blessings can lead you astray if you're not careful. Well, there it is. How do we build the next generation? Hear, O Israel, love God, model and teach your kids. Connect everything in your life to God and don't forget about Him, fear Him, and don't turn to another. That is a summary of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the Jewish Hebrew culture is the most memorized, most understood passage of all the Old Testament, the Shema. They knew it was critical. It's critical. And so it's also critical for us that we might hear what God is saying. So let's deal with the challenge of the morning. Challenges. Where is your heart? Moses was saying, God is saying, your heart should have God in it. God should be on your heart. Now what does that mean? In your life, you should be committing yourself to Him, allowing Him to rule. Where is your heart? What is your greatest desire? Guys, this is just a time of reflection. If you could kind of get into my head a little bit, I'm looking at, okay, we can teach the Bible here, but what does this mean to me? What it means to me is I've got to check out where, where is my life going? Is it going toward God? And do I want more of God? These are great questions. What is your desire? Because some of us might be desiring milk and honey more than God. We might be desiring something in this world more than God. What's the danger in wanting more of this world than we do of God? Who made the world? We need to go after God. Guys, let me encourage you to go after God with all of your heart. God or something else is what we need to ask ourselves. Am I following God or am I going after something else? How are you walking in faith and obedience? How are you walking in faith? Because Moses is telling us, God is telling us that we love God. Jesus said, you love me, then keep my commandments. So how are you keeping the commandments? What is it in your life that shows your kids, anybody around you, I shouldn't have to ask you, I should ask them if you're following after God. Because they'll tell the truth, you'll probably make up something. How is it obvious? It ought to be obvious that we follow God. It ought to be obvious that we are concerned about what's in this we ought to, it ought to be obvious that we pray to God and say, God, help me today. I don't know what the day is going to be, but I need you. There ought to be times that we see it, that we hear it, that we see, and our kids ought to be able to say, Dad, I know you follow God because I see you. I watch you. You fail, and you go to God. You succeed. You go to God. You thank God for things. You also ask Him for help. All of our lives should be wrapped up in showing this generation and the next generation This is what it looks like to follow God. It is not just going to church. 
And I didn't even have to say that. You know that. So how are you walking in faith and obedience? And is it obvious? If it's not obvious, you're probably not. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying, well, then I'm going to wake everybody up and show them that I'm reading the Bible. Hey, everybody, I'm going to read my Bible today, so come look at me. I'm doing it. Wrong. Just read your Bible and let people find that out on their own. It's not a show. It's not legalism. It's not Pharisee living. It is real living. If you know God and love Him, then keep His commandments. How are you passing your faith on to your kids? Or if, you're, if your kids are out of the house, some of you are like, my kids are out of the house. I don't have to pass it on to the next generation. I'm done. No, you're not. You pass this faith to the next generation by every person that comes in contact with you, their closest friends, your closest neighbors. What are you doing to pass your faith along to the next generation, no matter what your influence is, but primarily our children and our families and other people that we have influence on, are you doing something that would pass faith along? Well, what is it that we are to do? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Know that there is one God, love Him with all your heart, Teach and model that. Fear Him. Don't chase after other gods. And now let's go change the next generation. That's how you do it. By being authentic with God. First thing is this, though. you got to know God. Don't try it without knowing God. It doesn't work. And if you're here right now and you go, hey, I've tried that. I've gone to church. I've done all these things. I try, I try, I try, I try. I try all kinds of things. Do you know God? Well, I'm going to get around to that. No, you need to get on that. Do you know Him? And do you respond to Him in love? Don't try anything until you know that. 